I didn't go. My daughter went and a bunch of her friends. It was a lot of fun, uh, fruit of a lot of hard work and lots of uh, pictures and laughter and I'm sure memories and, you know, some clean music to dance to at night. Clean music. It was fun. It was a good day. All around. A nice time as a family. And yet there was some tension throughout the day as well. I, as we're going through all these fun things, I caught word that someone who does a lot of work for me in my rental business had uh, sadly died. He drank himself to death. Just bittersweet. As I sat there excited about looking through pictures and thinking about the loss of someone uh, so fast. There's such tension in that, isn't there? I wonder if we feel that. I wonder if you feel the tension of some great things going on. And yet, some sad things, some hard things at the same time. Like even as this morning, we say Happy Mother's Day and Happy Mother's Day. To the moms, the heroes, we all know it, just say it. Moms are the heroes, right? Happy Mother's Day, we mean them, it's real. And even as we say that, there's a a recognition that not all moms are happy, right? Some moms have lost children. Some children have lost moms and wrestle with that loss of that. Some women are have infertility, and so they hear Happy Mother's Day, and they wrestle with that. It's hard. And so we say Happy Mother's Day, and yet we recognize that there are hard realities in our world that we deal with. There's tension. There's dissonance. There's disconnect. Amazing things going on. All praise be to God, and that's right. And yet we look around the world, and there's some jacked up stuff going on. There's sin. There's evil. And that can cause just a little head scratch. That tension's all over the book of Matthew. Right? The, that's the wonderful thing about the scriptures. Some of us may approach our walk with Jesus with a ton of sentimentality, like, bless you, hallelujah, this is great, and just like, as if it's totally disconnected from reality, what people are dealing with. Matthew and the Gospels aren't like that at all. You open up the book of Matthew, and even in the opening chapters, you see what Jesus' first and fundamental message has been to the world. Repent. Right there, embedded in that word, is the reality of sin. Inescapable reality. Repent. Turn away from your sin and turn to God. First word out of his mouth in his ministry is dealing with a hard, horrific reality. Sin. But then he goes on to say, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What? You see that? Sin, a call to respond, 
And at the very same time, another inescapable reality that we all must deal with today that Jesus proclaims because he's in the world. What does he say? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is now a reality that you must deal with. The Lord reigns. And the king is here. Tension, joy, sorrow, the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man in our world. And that tension is the the tension that we live with right now, isn't it? And it's exhausting. It's confusing. It causes a little head scratching and, and dissonance. We wrestle with fear and hopelessness and despondency at the same time. Wow, look at what the Lord is doing. Does anybody else feel that today? Jesus gives us great hope today in this passage as he teaches us in another parable of the kingdom. Why don't you open your Bibles to Matthew 13. Matthew 13, we're going to read together verses 24 through 30. Pause for a moment and then read 36 through 43. So grab your Bibles, open up to Matthew 13, 24 through 30, and then, of course, we'll jump down to 36 through 43. Remember, Jesus is trying to teach us what the nature of the kingdom of heaven is like. And remember, he's doing so in a parable, which throws alongside uh, ordinary life and divine truth, heavenly truth. It tells us what something is like in words that we can understand. Let's see what Jesus says to us. Those who need hope in the midst of hard realities in this world. So if you're here today and you're feeling that, Jesus has something very specific to say to you today. Listen to what he says, verse 24 in chapter 13. He put another parable before them, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed into his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no. Lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. This is God's word. And all God's people said, Amen. You have this parable of the weeds. This idea that there was a man who had a field. And he sowed seed in that field. And while... They were all sleeping. The enemy came. And he sowed 
weeds in this field. And as time happened and these uh, plants grew, side by side, it became noticeable that there were weeds. This idea of the weeds is, is what the Bible calls darnell, which is basically fake wheat. It looked the same. It grew in a similar fashion, and it wouldn't be a no, there would be no noticeable difference between the wheat and the weeds until t- uh, harvest time approached. It looked very similar, but you wouldn't know until you saw that only one produced the grain. And so Darnell became understood to be called fake wheat. So you have the wheat, and you have the fake wheat. And so the servants come to the master and say, what did you do? Thought you sowed good seed. Did you have bad seed? The master of the house says, no, an enemy has done this. There's the man who has a field, and there's an enemy that has a plan and has executed that plan to sow weeds, fake wheat, among the good seed. And then the servants asked, do you want us to go and gather them up now? And he says, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. As as you're pulling out the fake wheat, you might disrupt the wheat. And so wait. Wait till harvest. And then we will gather them. The reapers will gather them. And we will gather the wheat into my barn. Parable. We understand the significance of what's being communicated here only because of that opening phrase in verse 24. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to this. This particular situation. This scenario in an agricultural society that the people of this day would understand. The kingdom of heaven is like this. So Jesus is teaching his disciples here. He's teaching the crowd here. And he's teaching us the nature of the kingdom. He's teaching us about the nature of the kingdom in the parable of the weeds. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And so we under, we ask the question, what does this mean? And that's what the disciples ask in verse 36 into 37. So let's go down there, verse 36, and let's continue reading. How does this parable of the weeds illustrate the nature of the kingdom? Well, let's see. Verse 36, Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Verse 40, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. 
in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. This as well is the word of God. And all God's people said, Amen. So to help us understand the parable, verse 37 and, uh, through 39, we see Jesus is defining characters. Right? You look back, you have characters in the, in the parable. And so Jesus is giving insight into the nature of the kingdom by first defining the characters. What does he say? He says in verse 37, the one who sows the seed is the son of man. If you remember, the son of man language is language that Jesus is most often using in the book of Matthew to refer to himself. Jesus is talking about himself. So what he's saying is, I am the one who sows the good seed. That's Jesus. Jesus is the one who is sowing the good seed. He calls himself the Son of Man here again. And a second time in verse 41. The Son of Man will, and he goes on. This is Jesus. He is the one who sows the good seed. He goes on to say, verse 38, the field is the world. So the Son of Man is sowing good seed. He's sowing the good seed in the world. That's an amazing thing to think about. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is Jesus' field, the world. It, it is under His authority. It is His. As Creator and King, Jesus is sowing good seed into the world. That's good news. The world in which we live. Jesus is sowing good seed into the world. It's a good reminder for us that the world in which we live is Christ's. He is Lord of heaven and earth. Amen? This is Jesus. He governs it. The field is the world. He says the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. That re Remember, the fruit of the ministry of the word is that true hearing takes place and the Spirit of God does something in the hearts of people. And they hear it and they embrace it. And they bear fruit. They are the sons of the kingdom. That's what Jesus says is happening as he sows good seed. They are the sons of the kingdom. He says, but the weeds are the sons of the evil one. There are not just sons of the kingdom in this world. There are sons of the evil one. Do you see that? At the very same time, in the very same place, we have sons of the kingdom and sons of the evil one. You're starting to see this dualistic nature in the parable. It's either this or that. It's either one or the other. There's no third way. There's no middle ground. Either you are a son of the kingdom or you are a son of the evil one. And then we see that the Son of Man, Jesus, has an enemy. He goes on to say that the enemy who sowed the sons of the evil one is the devil. Here we are faced with the reality that we often might ignore that there exists an enemy that is defeated but at work in the world. His name is the devil or Satan. He goes on to say the harvest is the end of the age. He says the reapers are angels. 
showing us that the gathering and separating out of the weeds is not a work that is reserved for us. You remember back to the parable. Do you want us to gather? No. I will send the reapers. He says the reapers are the angels, that the angels are the ones that will do the separating under the command of Christ at the proper time. And so here he has defined the characters. Do you see who they are? Do you see how those metaphors represent specific people and a time? It's very important we start there. And that's where Jesus starts. He shows us who the character are, who the character characters are. But beyond knowing the characters, Jesus is setting for us some very specific expectations. He's speaking to us in the reality that he's at work, the enemy's at work. There are sons of the kingdom, there are sons of the evil one. There is now, there is then. And I'm setting for you specific expectations to help you understand and realize what you face in this hard world. There may be some misguided expectations about what life is like as a Christian in this time, in this world. It may be setting you up for frustration and disappointment. It may have left you weak and confused and maybe even doubting. But as we move from uh, uh, defining the characters, hear what Christ says. Hear the expectations that he gives us in this parable of the weeds of the field. First of all, he says to us this. I want you to expect this age to end. For some of us, that is a very, that's an amazing hope. The life that we're living in, the, the place that we live in, under the circumstances in which we live, Jesus is saying, this age will come to an end. It is temporary. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the what? End of the age. This age. The experience of the now, where we live in this tension, is a temporary age. It is not forever. That is wonderful news. Simple as that. Jesus makes us a promise there. He knows what we feel. He understands the tension that we face. And he's communicating to his disciples and he's saying, this will be at the end of the age. What I'm trying to tell you is that the age in which you live is a temporary one. It will come to an end. Right now, both good and evil will coexist in the world. But in the end, it will end. Two kingdoms are presently at work. God in His sovereign plan is allowing this to happen for a particular reason and purpose. But it is temporary. It is temporary. The disconnect that you experience, the hurt, the pain, the temptations you feel, it's a part of this age. And it will come to an end. Grab a hold of that hope today. But you may be saying, everything's going great. Everything's right. I couldn't draw up my life any better than it is. If that's where you are today, this word may not provide any hope at all. It's actually possible 
that your whole, uh, all your hopes and all your dreams are so grounded in this age that this scares the living daylights out of you. Wait a minute. The perfect life that I live, all the joys and all the comforts, you're telling me that someday that will come to an end? The answer is yes, it will. Some of us may say, man, I don't want it to end. Some of us have, have drank so much from the well of this world that we've come to enjoy the things of it so much that we are so afraid to lose it. If you give yourself to this life and this life only, you will enjoy it to the fullest. But you may forfeit a greater joy, a greater bliss, a greater experience in the kingdom of God that is still not yet. Ask yourself, is your hope in this life? In this age? Or is your hope in another one? For those of you who know the real difficulties and pains of this earthly existence, this is awesome news. This day will come to an end. There will be another day. It's gospel news. But he goes on to also give another expectation. Expect Jesus to judge in the end. Expect this age to end. And at the end of the age, expect Jesus to judge in the end. He will judge all those who live a life characterized by sin and cause others to do the same. That's a very important explanation. Because you might misunderstand what Jesus is saying this morning. He's saying this. Look at what he says, verse 41. The Son of Man will send His angels... And gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. Jesus will judge people. The sons of the evil one. They will be gathered out. On judgment day. On that day. They will be gathered out. There will be a distinction made between the righteous and the wicked. Right now there's coexistence. But on that day, Jesus will send His angels and they will separate out the sons of the evil one from the sons of the kingdom. There will be a great separation, a great distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And not just ideas, like bad things will go away. He is saying people. All causes to sin. All lawbreakers. You may be saying, wait, I break the law. I sin. In this life, I struggle. You, you've even just been talking about the tension of which I face. Yeah, you see, he's not talking about specifically you and your struggle against sin. He's not talking to you. No. You who know and trust in Jesus, who've embraced him by faith. He's talking to people when he's talking about lawbreakers and those who are causes of sin. He's talking about people whose whole life is characterized by sin, by rebellion against the law of God, and they are causing other people to do the same. It's a very important distinction. He will gather them out. Not just anyone and everyone who commits sin, not those who struggle, not the genuine follower of Jesus Christ. No, He's gathering out the sons of the evil one, the weeds. gathering out those who break God's law in a way that is characteristic of the direction 
the motives and just the character of their lifestyle. Those who reject God, His Son, His law, His kingdom, those who refuse to turn from their sin and turn to Him categorically throughout their lives, they have the expectation of judgment to be gathered out as sons of the evil one. And the text tells us that Jesus will judge them by throwing them into hell, a place of eternal torment. And you say, I don't want to hear this. This is not comfortable. I understand that. It should not make you comfortable. It's an uncomfortable thing to think about. Hell is a heavy reality. Let's just say that. It's a heavy reality. It's horrific to consider. A place where he says this, right? Look at what he says. I will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a reality that we must just face. Wrestle with. Jesus says it. I know there's a whole movement in Christianity that wants to say, ah, hell is not a real place. It's not a real thing. Love wins. True. But I don't think you understand the totality of what you mean by that, Mr. Bell. Love wins. God would never... Divorcing our understanding of eternity and the purpose and plans of God from what the Scriptures actually teach, even the red letters say. Oh, I don't get into all that. That's Paul and Revelation. I just want to hear from Jesus. Well, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. Here's your red letters. Jesus says that out of His authority and because of His holiness and because of people's refusal to respond to the reality of the kingdom with repentance, their whole life has been characterized by sin and rebellion, and they are dragging other people into that mess. They live with an expectation of eternal judgment, a place of torment. Jesus will judge justly. And that is a horrible thing to think about this morning. Because we're talking about not ideas and things. We're talking about the eternal destiny of real people that we know and love, aren't we? And yet don't miss what Jesus is saying to his disciples. As heavy of a reality as that is, future and final distinction of the wicked from the righteous. The removal of the weeds from the wheat is central to the hope of the good news about Jesus Christ. All causes of sin will be gone. disconnect that you feel. Gone. No more crying. No more weeping. No more pain. No more death. No more sin. 
No more turmoil in your heart. No more discord in your relationships. No more animosity in the world. No more polarized political issues. No more. Jesus will make sure that the righteous will be distinguished from all of that. It will be gone. That is the hope of the gospel. That's what Jesus came, lived, and died for to secure for us an existence in the way that it was supposed to be and a way that he intends. Glory in the absence of sin. Please hear that today. As heavy as hell is, the reality of judgment leaves us uncomfortable. Be comforted by the hope of Christ one day judging all sin and evil. Central to the hope of the gospel. Imagine a world where there is none of that. Jesus is saying, I'm going to do something someday to make that happen. Praise God. Expect Jesus to judge. And expect the righteous to shine. Did you hear that? Expect the righteous to shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Expect the righteous to shine in his father's kingdom without end. You see, what happens when the fake wheat and the the wheat grow together, there's a mixture And the wheat produces grain. And the the wheat produces something that is not grain, but actually turns black. So you can imagine, in time, this distinction. And, and, And the mixture of colors. You see the golden wheat. But you see also the way that the the wheat dims that brightness as it mixes together. Jesus is saying, when I take out the fake wheat, and the black stuff, and it's gone, and it's burned, guess what? The only thing that remains is the brightness of the sun in the lives and the fruit of the righteous. Someday, it will shine. The righteous will shine. The fruit of the work of the Spirit in your life, it will no longer be darkened or dimmed by the reality and presence of sin. You will shine like the sun. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus said. The righteous will shine, but who are the righteous? Important question. You define the, the, the people that will be judged, well, who are the righteous? Well, listen to this. We understand in the, in the truth of the gospel that righteousness is a gift from God. Righteousness is a gift from God. He gives it to us. He gives it to us by the work and through the work of Jesus as we embrace His life, death, and resurrection by faith. We trust in Him. We receive it. It's imputed to us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He who knew no sin became sin, so that in Him we might become what? The righteousness of God. If you want to be righteous, you must receive it, and you can only receive it through Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection, and you must receive it, not by earning it, but by just trusting in it. I'm talking about people who trust in Jesus. But not just that. We know that in Matthew, 
that righteousness, when it is received, is lived out. It is a sanctifying righteousness. That the righteous and the wicked are the distinction and the fruit that is born is their life. It's their life. It's what they it's who they are and how they live. And so when he's talking about the righteous, he's talking about people who, yes, have a righteousness that is received by faith, but it is evidenced in their deeds that the Spirit of God enables them to do. And so we must be careful here not to confuse righteousness. What is meant by those who are righteous? The righteousness here is one that is received by faith and evidenced by righteous deeds. It is obedience. It's both essential, who we are, and ethical, how we live. That's the righteous. He's saying if you've trusted in Jesus and the Spirit of God is evidencing that faith in your deeds, guess what? Your righteousness will shine like the sun in the kingdom. That is your hopeful expectation. That's what I'm promising to you. So if you're here today and that's you, guess what? You will one day shine like the sun. And you will do so together in the field of the kingdom of God, absent from from the presence of sin and all the realities that come from that. That is the hope of the gospel. Turn to Christ today. Trust in Him. Rely on the Spirit. Receive and evidence that righteousness in how you live. What we see here is that the promises of Christ provide us hope as we endure the reality of sin in this world and wait for the eternal glory in His kingdom. It's the promises. He wants to reassure us with His promises. I know what you're going through now, but this is what I will do someday. And I promise you, I promise you, Adoniram Judson, I've quoted it once, I'm quoting it today, I will quote it 400 million more times, Lord willing. He's hanging upside down in a Burmese prison. And his comrade says to him, are we going to make it? And he looks at him. His, his head in the dust. His feet in the air. He says, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Your present might be dark. It may be hard. Your future is bright as the promises of God. That's what Christ does. His promises give us hope as we endure the reality of sin and wait for the future glory of His kingdom. So how do we apply some things and think through some things as we think about how we live today, tomorrow? Well, first of all, trusting God's promises. Right? What do we do when we hear promises? We trust Him. We trust Jesus. No matter what you're going through today, no matter what struggle you face, this is uh, an invitation for you to deepen your trust in God in the midst of the chaos and madness. In the midst of the frustration and the hurt and the loss. Trust in Christ's promises today. Trust in Him. He has a plan for you. He has a plan. And He's working that plan out perfectly. 
when I'm going through hard times, it's easy for me to think, where is God in this? You know what the answer is? He's right here. You may be feeling like, where is God in the midst of this? The kingdom of heaven is at hand, but look at my life. Look at what I'm facing. Where is God? He's right here. He's in this. He's not outside of this. He's not somewhere else in your life. He's with you in the midst of your struggle against sin, in your struggle and the consequences of sin that you feel. He's with you. He's present with you in the midst of that. Isn't that an amazing thing to think about? Where's God? He's right here. He's working through this. All things work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Amen? He's in it. He's not somewhere else. He's in it. So trust in His promises. And I think as we're in that process, it's a call to patiently endure. It's a call to faith. It's a call to patience for us as we live in this world. You can imagine being a farmer in an agricultural society like this. Can you imagine being an asparagus farmer? Do you know how long it takes for the seed to go to harvest? Guess. Six years. Six years. I'm just going to Wegmans. Six years. They understood in this time the process of waiting. Waiting. Think we do well with waiting. We want all of God's perfect plans for us fully realized now. We don't. I don't. I'm just going to. I don't value the process. I just want to get to the destination. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. I hate the process. Can we just get there already? Right. I, I drove to Florida this spring. Never again. We're flying direct. You follow me? But the Christian life is called a patient waiting. Patient waiting. As pastors, as a pastor, like this ministry and the messiness of sin and life and busyness, and yet the realities of the kingdom, and even as members of a church, like, man, you can say, where is God? Is he doing anything? Does he save anymore? Like, you can be, it's like, you just got to be patient. Got to be patient as a church, patient as people, right? Business owners, you you started businesses. You're like, we're gonna make a million dollars this year. Reality, right? Like, it takes time. It takes time. How about to be maybe a little bit more specific to work? How about parents? Parents, what happened to the family? How did we get here? We didn't plan for this. Like, will anybody get it? Didn't we instill principles in you? We confused when there's a disconnect and a, and a mixture of experiences in the context of a family. We may wonder, like, where's the Lord in all of this? Where's the kingdom of heaven in the midst of my home? All we feel is, is sin and mess in our marriage. And we, we want it to be better now. We gotta fix it now, overnight. Because we have a microwave mentality, like one minute, cook the meat. Has anybody ever eaten meat out of a microwave? It's terrible. Even steakums are bad in there. Steakums are just relatively bad, but 
can't even get it. And then you put that side by side with a crock pot. You see, that's how God works. He does it. He works in the process over time. He doesn't work in the way that we do with our technology and our instantaneous demands. It's a process. We've got to be patient with God. Because the nature of the kingdom is gradual. It's progressively growing. And it's doing so under God's sovereign plan alongside of the reality of the work of the enemy that's taking place in our world. It's, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be immediate. We've got to be patient with the process. So if you're wrestling as a family, if you're wrestling in your marriage and you're just, just discontent and frustrated, just remember God does stuff through a process over time. That's what He does. You've got to be patient with God. One day it will change, but now this is what God is doing. This is how He's doing it. Trust Him and be patient with the process. Calvin says, so long as the pilgrimage of the church in this world continues, bad men and hypocrites will mingle in it with those who are good and upright, that the children of God may be armed with what? Patience. And in the midst of offenses which are fitted to disturb them, may preserve unbroken steadfastness of faith. Can we do that? Can the Spirit of God give us an unbroken steadfastness of faith as we patiently await the finalization of all of God's plan? Can we do that? It's a work that we need in our hearts. Next, be, be aware of and resistant to the enemy. There's so much I could say here. But understand this, we often ignore the reality of Satan's work and his schemes. Let's put that on the table and just say, that's what the Scriptures teach. That right now, as God is at work, the enemy is also at work. And notice, he's a corrupter. He's not a creator. He's just throwing fake weed out there. It's just, it's just false. It's, it's counterfeit. He's not a creator. He's a corrupt, corrupter. And we're understanding that. We must be aware and resistant to his work. 1 Peter 5 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. There is an enemy. We're called to be aware of that and to live a life in active resistance to him. How so? We continually drink upon God's grace in the way that he has chosen to give it. The word preached, prayer, the Lord's Supper, right? He's, these are ordinary means of grace that he gives to us. That's why we gather here week in and week out. Because we're being, we're being equipped to be aware of and resistant to the work of the enemy in our lives and in the world. It, when you come here, you humbly admit that you need to hear the word more than a couple extra cow, uh, hours on the couch. More than a hike in the woods. You follow? It's an act of faith that says, every week as the people of God gather, I need to hear 
Christ's word preached. I need to pray with the people of God. I need to receive from the Lord's table. I need the grace of God because the enemy's at work all around me. I don't need another nine holes. So we resist him by pursuing God's grace, by drinking of God's grace. That's why we're in community. That's why missional community. This is all a part of it. You say, Mike, you're trying to drive me nuts with meetings and and overload my schedule. I'm really not. I'm trying to provide opportunities for you to drink from the well of God's grace as God designed it. So that you can be resistant and stand firm and steadfast against the real work of the enemy who is trying to steal, kill, and destroy you and your family and your kids. And I think even that, I think it's an invitation to labor, to work because of the work of the enemy. We join in the work of the Son. We work. Yes, we understand that we cannot fully eradicate evil. Right? That's for the reapers. But even as we wait for that day, we're still a people that strive for the purity of the church, the purity of our own lives. We don't walk around ho-hum defeated and hopeless doomsdayers, well, I guess everything's going to stink until Jesus comes back. It's not worth it. What's the point anyway? We're not the reapers. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. What's the point of engaging in gospel ministry? Satan's at work. He's going to jack it up. We only have hope for eternity someday. We must not live with a someday spirituality, a doomsday approach to our current reality. No, we're at work, striving side by side, pastors, deacons, members, striving to, for the purity and the strength of the church. So let's get to work. Let's plant a church in Beville. Let's have more missional communities. Let's develop leaders. Let's pray with each other. Let's invest in relationships. Let's get at the hard work of gospel ministry. Let's get out in the community and serve. Because God's kingdom is still growing right now. And it's growing through those ways. But we must never think for one minute that we will ever fully eradicate that reality until the time comes. I know I'm going long here. I'm sorry not sorry last thing because I think this passage is really about our hope in Christ fix your eyes on him fix your hope on him as you trust him as you wait as you resist and work against the enemy hope in Christ please hope in Christ he has done all that is necessary He is at work now. I see it in your lives. I see it in this church. He's at work now. And He will bring His work to a completion in this world someday. Don't lose sight of that hope. Don't take your eyes off the hope, right? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. As Hebrews 12.3 says, that my wife wrote on the whiteboard in our kitchen this week. As we were wrestling as a family... She had this on the wall, and I thought it was perfect. Consider Him, that's Jesus, who endured from sinners 
such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Fix your eyes on Jesus so that you won't grow weary or faint-hearted in the midst of this day in this world as a follower of Jesus. Think of what he endured. Such hostility from sinners against himself. Such hostility that led him to die a death on a cross of horrible, horrific proportions. And it was all so that you would know salvation. It was all so that your eternal destiny would change from the darkness of the pits of hell to the brightness of the glory of the kingdom of God throughout all eternity. Amen? Fix your hope on Jesus. If your hope is in any other thing today, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn to Him. Trust Him. He will save you. You'll be a son and daughter of the kingdom, and you will live with an undeniable, unshakable hope of eternal glory. He who has ears, let him hear. we recognize that what we do is pales in comparison to the perfection of what you have done and who you are. We praise you that you understand our state. We praise you that you are king and you've ushered in a whole new reality for humanity, the, the kingdom of God. We praise you that you have not fully brought about everything yet. It is your kindness and your patience with us that continue to provide an opportunity for us to repent. I pray that if there's anybody here that has not known or trusted in Christ, I pray they would today. I pray that if there's anybody here that's weak and discouraged in their faith, that you would encourage them and build them up. That you would help them to see and grab onto the real hope of the, the reality of heaven. The brightness that will one day come for those who know and trust in Christ. Bless these people. Love them. Shower them with your mercy. Lead them. Guide them. Nurture them. Give them endurance in this world, in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, sing in response, and rejoice. Confirm a foundation.